You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, was, we were celebrating together uh, just the encouraging thought comes to mind as we proclaim the Lord's death together as his people, that from the moment he was born, the moment that he came to earth, Satan was in, in the works behind the scenes trying to kill him, Right? From Herod and then to the Pharisees, and he was, they were trying to stop him and stop his work and stop his, his plan and his purpose. And from the moment he was, he was born. And yet God controlled all of his movements and all of his life up until the point when, when he died on the cross for us. And even then, Satan probably celebrated the death of this God man, this person who he knew was a threat to him. And what did God do in his sovereign will and the counsel of his will from time eternity past? He resurrected him. He overcame death. He overcame sin to the power of the resurrection. And Jesus lives and our Savior lives. And that's something to celebrate. And it's also a, such an encouragement that God is sovereign over all these things. So whatever happens in our life, whatever troubles you brought in this morning, whatever hindrances, and it, there's a, there's a sense of just heaviness and burdensome on, on God's people right now. The, the fatigue maybe of, of all of this COVID crisis that has been taking place and how it's changed our lives in such dramatic ways. And maybe it's work or family trying to go back to school. Just, just heaviness. But through that oppression, through that persecution, if we will endure, we receive, well, we inherit eternal life. We are God's people. We are proven to be his. And he promises to, to never leave us, never forsake us. He promises that all these things are for our good. Right? We, we walked through that, the life of Joseph in Genesis last fall. All these terrible things happening to this young man. Right? All these horrible things, and they seemed so unfair, and so unjust, and yet God was using it to save a multitude to take his people where he wanted them to be, ultimately for his praise and for his glory. So these are good things. And so whatever you keep reading in the newspapers, whatever um, you're struggling with this morning, whatever things that seem like you can't overcome them, they're insurmountable, you're being crushed under the weight of them. You're not. God has you right where he wants you. He's perfectly in control of all of these things. You can rely on him. You can cry out to him. You can ask him. You can, he will give you strength to endure. He always does, every time. So be encouraged by that. Um, even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate because he lives. We proclaim his death because it's, it means life for us as his people. So hopefully you're, you're encouraged from that time uh, that we just had this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and and, uh, we'll open God's Word together. Father, we thank you that you are the great I Am. We have been learning more about you as you teach us, as you reveal yourself to us in the Scriptures, in your Word. Thank you so much for... um, 
being such a loving father that you show us who you are, that you want to be known. And by knowing you, we have no choice but to worship you because you're amazing. You're the one that's always existed. You were not created by anything or anyone, Lord. You have existed in eternity. You are self-sufficient, the self-existent one. You are the, there is no one like you. You are high and lifted up. You inhabit eternity, Lord. I, I don't understand those things. And yet we are your creatures. We are the fruit of your work and your good pleasure. We're so thankful that you care enough about each individual one sitting in these seats right now, Lord, that you will have um, words for them. You will have words for us. You will have truth to to give this morning. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear from you, to understand. Help me to be clear as I teach, Lord. Help us as your servants to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth and to give ourselves in service and evangelism in this world around us, Lord. There's, the harvest is so plenty, Lord. There's so many people that are lost, that need you, that need the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That there is a way of salvation, that they can have freedom from sin, that they they can have peace with you. They can rest knowing that they have eternity only if they would believe in you, Lord Jesus. So help us to be heralds of this good news, to take it into the streets, into the workplaces, into our neighborhoods, Lord. And I pray right now, Lord, as we open your word, you would encourage us more, help us to know you more, help us to worship you in light of who you are. Help us to get rid of anything that's in our way that hinders us from walking with you faithfully. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been uh, joining us the last um, several months here, we're in a series in the book of, book of Exodus. So if you want to turn to Exodus 8 this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, Exodus 8. We're going to go through the entire chapter 8. And we've seen uh, at the right moment in time, God is um, fulfilling his promise to his people, right? We saw him bring, through the life of Joseph, we saw him bring Israel and his family, the Hebrews, to Egypt to save them, and they have flourished, right? And they became, they be, there was a great multitude in the entire land to the point where, where Pharaoh himself became a little bit scared about these people that keep growing and they're, they're just strong and they're, they're thriving and we can't have that. Even though they're, they're benefiting us as a people, we need to suppress them. We need to stop this growth. And so he puts a plan in place. And he has his people. The Egyptians are part of this plan. And so they put him into hard labor, to hard service. And they, they do this great evil on this people that have done nothing but benefit them. But because they are a threat, he wants to punish them. He wants to put them down, oppress them. And in their oppression, they continue to grow. Why? Because they belong to God. Nothing will thwart his plans. Nothing will, these are his people. He will care for them. He will provide for them. He will make them, he will make them increase in number. That's, that's his promise to Abraham. That's his promise to, to Isaac and to Jacob and to the fathers before these people that are in Egypt. And so he makes these promises. He keeps the promises. And when the time was right, after 400 years, God's never late. He's, he never missed the bus. His alarm didn't go off too late. He, he's right on time. And he shows up, and he sees the affliction. He hears, he remembers, he knows his people. And he, and he puts something in motion to save them. He's going to deliver them from this affliction. He's going to deliver them from this bondage. Right? This is the great, a great picture of salvation that Christ came and did for us. And so he starts this with, with one man, with Moses, right? 
And it turns into two men, Moses' older brother, Aaron, because Moses didn't want to be really in charge of all these things. He didn't want the responsibility. He had a lot of excuses. God was gracious in his life and said, I'm still going to use you, but I'll allow Aaron to come along and he can be your voice piece. And he sends these men and they had all these excuses and they had, had their struggle and they, they, Moses wasn't sure if he was the right guy. And what if they don't listen? And what if this? And what if that? And God's just like, trust me, they will do this and they will do that. And this is what's going to happen. He has, he knows, he just knows everything, right? As we study this, we've been studying the doctrine of God. Who is God? Who is he? Remember in Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So we're studying all of his amazing, his, all of his moral perfections, all of his attributes, all of his character is being, it's being on, it's put on display here for us. And when God shows all of these things, he manifests who he is, it brings him glory. That's his ultimate purpose. To bring, cause he's worthy of it. Right? And he's bringing his glory through a d- bunch of different actions now, now that we're in chapter eight. There was a lot of talk happening at the beginning, right? So it reminds me of, the, if you guys, you're probably not going to raise your hand and admit to this, but the WWF, WWE, the, the wrestling, world wrestling entertainment, you guys, no one's going to raise their hand, no one's going to admit to that, but my little nephews love it now. I grew up watching some of it, not really got, didn't really get into it too much, but it's entertainment, but my little nephews love it to the point where they want to build a ring in their backyard and all that fun stuff, right? They, they know all the names of the guys and, but if you've ever watched any of that, it's a lot of bravado, it's a lot of talk, it's a lot of smoke and lights and sweaty guys and long hair flipping around and unitards and all that stuff, and they're, they're yelling at each other and they're flexing and they're, they're, they're talking a lot, right? There's a lot of talk, there's a lot of spittle, go- I mean, they, I don't know how they do that in the COVID era, but there's a lot of stuff going on, right? And they're in the ring and they're using the mic and they have their catchphrases and they have their catch moves and, and people celebrate them and cheer them and it's, 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 I guess for those who watch this, it's a lot of fun. I don't know. Um, so they're watching this and they're seeing all these things, but eventually the talk has to stop. Eventually something has to happen. And at one point, someone's going to come up from behind all of these guys yelling and, and screaming and, and they're going to use a chair and they're going to knock the other guy over the head, right? Now it's, now it's on. Now it's time to go, right? So that chair is that, that moment and God is, He's, he's listened to Pharaoh. He's listened to Egypt. And Pharaoh is saying, who is, who is this God? Who, who, is, who are you? It's a lot, of, a lot of trash talk, right, from Pharaoh. You want me to let your people go? Make me, is really what he's saying. Make me. I'm God. I am God of Egypt. I'm the incarnation of the sun god Ra. I'm in control. Make me. And so God obliges him and says, okay. And God's got plenty of chairs. He doesn't run out of chairs. And he's got ten big ones that are coming here in the form of plagues. And so I want to look at the purpose in the plagues this morning. Sometimes we just skip over them. They're, they're pretty neat. They're, they're kind of fun signs and wonders. But have you ever considered why God chose certain plagues? Why did he choose turning the Nile into blood? And Scott talked about that last week, the importance of the Nile. The, it's really the centrality of all of life in Egypt. And that was the first one. But why did he go to frogs next? Why frogs? And then gnats and flies. And I understand hail, right? And locusts and stuff. But why gnats? Why flies? And why f- frogs are just, what? They're not dangerous. They're just annoying and gross, right? So why frogs? Have you ever thought about that? We're going to look at the purpose of all these plagues this morning. 
And so we've been studying the doctrine of God, and what we're seeing is that God is sovereign, and one of the things he shows us in these plagues is that he's, he has complete control. He, he has the authority and the power to do whatever he wants. And because he is good and just and righteous, that everything he does is holy and good and just and righteous. right? And he's completely sovereign over creation, which he'll show us here, over redemption and over judgment. And so the purpose in the plagues, there's, there's three of them, and then I'm going to read through and we'll kind of see all three of them being played out. The first one God's already talked about. So um, one of the, the first purposes in, in the plagues is that God will keep his promise. So God will keep his promise, he will show his power, he will execute his punishment or his judgments. Keep his promise, show his power, execute his punishment or judgments. Punishment fit the, the P thing going on, so that's why I, I moved it to that one. Promise, power, and punishment. So the first one, to keep his promise. We've already seen that. We'll, we'll review that here. Uh, chapter 6, 6 through 8. God is restating his promise and telling his people, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is, this is what's going to happen. Right? And they've already, the people already believed. Right? And that's, that's what God wants from his people. When Moses came and Aaron came and they came to the elders and they told Israel, this is, this is what God's going to do. He's going to rescue you now. He's going to save you. What did they do? They believed and they worshipped him. And then Pharaoh made things worse. And Pharaoh, in his pride, as, God talked, as Scott talked about last week, in his pride, refused to let the people go. And in chapter 6, 6 through 8, God says, say, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And you'll see a lot of that. Thus says the Lord, I am the Lord. God is, once again, he's revealing who he is. He's, he's given his personal name to his people, and he's sharing that now with Egypt. I am the Lord. There's no other God besides him. He's making this known very plainly. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Great acts of judgment. Signs and wonders, great acts of judgment, plagues. That's what God's talking about here. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There will be no mistaking who did this. There will be no mistaking who deserves the worship and the praise and the glory. Only God. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. All these promises are... <laughs> They're necessary for us to remember, but they're so amazing because they're based on who he is. He swore based on his own name. He swears by himself that he will do these things, and they will take place. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can. And so when we look around the world, and we watch the news, and we see political divide, and we see racial divide, and we see all these tensions, and we see cities burning, and we see all the discomfort in, in our own life due to COVID and masks and pandemics and work and relationships in school, we see all of these things and all the, the turmoil and all the chaos. God is completely in control. He is the Lord. And we need to remember that. We need to be encouraged by that, and we need to worship him for that. Lord, all of this is crumbling around me, and I, I can't find steady footing, but you are my rock. You are the Lord. And then we worship him. And, and it's not a placebo. It's not just some bumper sticker we say. God infuses us with encouragement. By his Holy Spirit, he gives us peace. He gives us strength. He gives us endurance. He gives us words to say. We know exactly what we're supposed to do. 
And we just need to obey him and step out in faith. And he blesses us and he rewards us. And God is giving this promise and he's, he's, he's giving this promise of blessing to his people. And he sends Moses and Aaron out. And as they now move into the, the plagues here, one thing I don't want to overlook is that Moses and Aaron, especially Moses, he shuts up now. He doesn't, I don't see him complaining anymore. Do you? He, why? We, we, we saw some pretty, pretty cool miracles. He did the, he did the staff thing in front of Israel and it turned into a snake and he, and, and they believed. So that was good. That was an encouragement. He still wasn't sure. And God said, just go do it. This is non-negotiable. This is what I want. You're the man. Go do it. He did it. And he threw the, the staff down and the, all the magicians came and threw their staffs down. And what, what did Aaron's, Aaron's staff swallowed up all the other staffs. He swallowed up all the other staffs. The magicians were left kind of in awe. And I wonder if Moses was finally like, okay, I'm good. Right? I get it. This is pretty awesome. Let's, let's see what the next, the next round looks like, Lord. So I don't see him complaining. And now he just, every time God says something, Moses does it. That's a good thing. And so one of the purpose in the plagues is to keep his promise that they will know that he is God. And so um, he's not leaving them behind. He's not, this is one of the purposes, but there are other things happening here too. The second thing is they will show his power. In 9.16, he says to Pharaoh, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power. For this purpose. Because he could take Pharaoh out at any time. He can do whatever he wants. Pharaoh could have been gone like that. Right? But he didn't. And why? There's a purpose here. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He wants his name to be proclaimed in all the earth. He wants to show his power. And how is he doing this? Sorry, we're going to bounce back and forth a page or two here for a minute. In chapter 7, verse 3, chapter 7, verse 3, what does he say? But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and we'll talk more about that another time. And though I multiply my signs and wonder in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and will bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. He wants Israel to know he is the Lord. He wants Egypt to know he is the Lord. And the whole world, the whole earth to know his name, to be proclaimed in all the earth. That is his, that's his goal here. That's his purpose. This is the reason why he's raised Pharaoh. This is the reason why Pharaoh is being stubborn, because God is allowing this to take place for his name, his purpose, his glory, the proclamation of his, his majesty in all the earth. And he's, he's, that's a fair thing because God is completely just. He's holy in every way. He's perfect in every way. He doesn't make mistakes. And so he wants the Egyptians to know that he is the Lord. He wants the Egyptian gods to know that they are nothing. That they're nothing. And that's the last thing, to execute his punishment, his judgments. If you go to chapter 12, verse 12, you'll notice here it says, For I will pass through, this is right before the tenth plague, the last plague. 12.12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So we're getting this full composite of to why. Why the plagues? Why is God doing this? To keep his promise. This is the means he's using to cause Pharaoh to let his people go. 
to show his power, to have his name proclaimed in all the earth, to execute his punishment, to execute his judgments on these gods. And that helps us to understand that the plagues are also lined up with the gods of Egypt. Right? So Pharaoh himself as a god, the Egyptians, all of their gods, Satan behind the scenes working in all of these things, they're standing there, all the bravado, all the words going out, right? A presentation of pride, if you will, all the lights, all the smoke, and God is about to present them with all of his power. He's about to take that giant chair and just one by one knock these guys down, right? Because there's no one like him. They can talk all they want. God will be magnified. He will not be, his, his plans and his purpose will not be thwarted. And so the plagues will come. Pharaoh says, make me. And so what are plagues? And why is it called signs and wonders and then acts of judgment and then plagues? A plague is, a, plague is just a Latin word for, um, it has this meaning in the Latin word plaga, which means a blow or a wound. So a plague is a blow. It, it literally, you can use the image of a chair hitting someone, I guess, right? Um, it's, it's a blow or a wound. So he's got to hurt this nation. He's got to have ten mighty blows on this nation. And we see God's, God's using the, the verbiage in other parts of Scripture, too. He already talked about his outstretched arm, but God's mighty hand, his outstretched arm, is he is the one um, engaging with these mighty blows. Psalm 136, verse 12. All this about his steadfast love enduring forever and all the good things God does. And it says, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, um, he brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. This is a righteous judgment. So as much as God is bringing glory to himself through salvation, through grace and mercy, choosing a people, loving them, redeeming them, saving them, he's also providing um, a picture of his character, of his righteousness, of his goodness through judgment, through holy judgment, holy justice. All of these things are holy. They are perfect. Deuteronomy 26, 8 Deuteronomy 26.8 says, well, actually starting in verse 6, And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So we see this, this imagery of God's mighty hand, his outstretched arm, right? And we talked about one of the, one of the commentators had this great picture of God's hand protecting, gathering his own people while he's also attacking, judging those who are enemies of God and of his people. And so that's what a plague is, a, a blow or a wound. And each of these plagues was very purposeful. There wasn't some random choice taking place here. I talked about the frogs. Why would you choose frogs? Did God go to Costco the month before? He's like, I got too many frogs. And Moses pushed some frogs this month, right? He's not doing that. It's not about having a storehouse and God's just randomly choosing things. There was a purpose in it. You guys know what I'm talking about. You buy stuff from Costco, you never use it, and then you got to hurry up and use all of it at the end of the month, right? Nobody knows what I'm talking about? Okay, a few of you do. There were, there were considered eight major deities in Egypt at that. So like many other pagan cultures, lots of deities, lots of gods, and they were typically nature gods. So they were things that were already created by the true God, 
right? But they were worshipped as gods themselves. So when there was some natural event that took place, they would attribute it to whatever creature or creation element that was around that event. And so the, the Nile, as Scott talked about last week, the Nile was there, was centered to life. It was obviously a source of water, a source of food with the fish. It watered the, 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 the livestock and the cattle. It provided a means of commerce, right? It, there, was, there was just life involved there. And then the, the, the Nile would flood every year. And when the waters receded, there would be all this fertile ground and the agricultural supply would increase as well. So when, when God turned the water to blood, there was purpose in that. It was completely useless, unusable in every way. They couldn't do anything with it. And one of they have to, they, they had to just dig in the ground next to the Nile, trying to get groundwater just to survive. And so the gods of the Nile, there were multiple gods of the Nile. There were gods and goddesses and guardians of the Nile. There's all these different names. They would worship them. And God showed them who those gods really are. They have no power. Now the sorcerers, the sorcerers, the magicians, they were able to, to copy. And Scott talked about that last week, that Satan can only copy, he can only mimic, can't create something from, and if he really, if he really had any power at all, he would have reversed it back to water, right? He would have provided something useful. And the magicians, the sorcerers, they, all they could do was the same miracle. And God's also got sovereignty over them, as we'll see here. So let's look at chapter eight. Look at the, the first or the second plague, frogs. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs and shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls, the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up in the land of Egypt. So apparently Pharaoh did not comply. He was warned. He was given an opportunity and we read between the lines that he didn't say yes. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants, and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses to be left only in the Nile. And he, Pharaoh, said, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. It would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So, when you study the scriptures, sometimes, especially Old Testament, 
Um, you need to do a little bit of background work, and you just um, need a good handbook to the Bible, um, Bible dictionary, p- perhaps some good commentaries, um, but just to understand what's going on behind the scenes. Why frogs? Have you ever just looked at a frog or studied a frog? I mean, it's just weird and gross, and why, why frogs, Lord? Right? There's no danger there. Well, for the Egyptians, frogs were actually sacred. The goddess Hecate... H-E-Q-E-T, and there's other variations of it, but Hecate kind of sounds like ribbit, right? So it makes sense to me. That's how I remember it. Hecate was the goddess of fertility, of life, of birth. Right? And part of the, the myth here, the mythology, is that whenever the Nile flooded up onto the land, into the Delta, Nile Delta region, and the waters receded, it would leave all the frogs behind, and they would be croaking and making a lot of noise, and that would be a celebration that... The waters had flooded, it receded, now the soil's nice and rich, agriculture's going to be great, things are good, life is good, the Nile has provided. And the frogs are this celebration, and so they would not only worship the goddess and gods and the guardians of the Nile, they would worship the, the, the goddess of, of the frogs, of really it's birth, rebirth, um, life itself, right? Fertility, the fertile soil. And this goddess had the head of a frog, which is real nice. That's real pleasant. Would you love to be that God in Egypt? You get to be all these cool things, and I get to be a frog head. They're just weird. And Why, right? But they would worship this goddess Hecate, right? And so frogs were sacred, and God just inundated the entire land of Egypt with frogs. You want this God? This is the one you want to worship. This is your, this is your divine agent of salvation. This is, this is the one that you, you, you bow down to and you are, you, you revere with your life and with offerings and you, you want this God? I'm going to give you as much of this as you possibly can take. And they're everywhere. And I love the fact that after the first, the first plague, Pharaoh, because of the blood in the Nile, he just kind of shut his door and went into his home, right? I'm just going to escape this for a little while. I don't want to be this one. He can't. They, God even says, what's going to happen? They shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants. They're going to be in your ovens. They're going to be in your dishware. They're going to be in your glasses. You're going to, you're going to go get some ice out of the fridge, right? They're going to be frogs, right? You're going to go get a bag of Doritos from the pantry, frogs. Anything you do, you want to use your remote, you want to go for a little chariot ride, frogs. Everywhere you go, especially when you sleep. Everywhere. Can you imagine the noise? When you live in the country and you live near water, you can hear frogs in the distance and it's kind of peaceful and there's crickets and... You can fall asleep. There's apps now. You can listen to frogs while you, if you don't live in the country, right? And there's croaking, and you, you like, but what if they're in your pillowcase, like right here, all night long, right? And on you, and everywhere. Everywhere. You can't sleep. You can't move. You can't make, you can't eat. You can't do anything. The frogs are everywhere. This is God was saying, you want this, you want this God? Here you go. Isn't that really what the general principle of divine judgment is to give sinful man what they want? You want this? You don't want me? You want this? I'm going to give you all that you can take. And it's not going to be pleasant. And the worst part is they're sacred. They couldn't kill them. 
They couldn't have a big frog barbecue and just make a big day out of it, right? And have a nice little invite the invite the neighbors and let's just let's just do frog legs for a couple weeks. Like let's just do something positive. Let's turn some lemons into lemonade, right? They couldn't do that. They were sacred. They couldn't kill them. They couldn't walk. They had to be real careful. They had to be nice, right? Because this was their god that was jumping on their face and making noise as they're trying to make eat breakfast. This was their 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 divine savior, their fertility goddess. So there's nothing they could do. And then this is one of those things where you've you got to be careful what you ask for. So Pharaoh says, plead with the Lord, intercede for me, pray for me. And notice that Pharaoh doesn't pray himself. Notice that he doesn't take responsibility. He just wants it gone. He just wants a respite. He wants, he wants the, the pain to go away. Right? And so he's not repentant. He's not truly sorrowful and willing to give up. He just wants the, he just wants this gone. So he asked Moses, plead for me. Please take all of this away. But he didn't say how. And so God killed all the frogs, but he left them there. What an offensive stench that would have been. Piles of frogs being shoveled everywhere. Just, just frogs, dead frogs after already the smell of the bloody the the nile that was blood and all the fish and now you have fr- the stench is just everywhere god is showing his power he's showing what happens when you worship things that he has created it doesn't make any sense he's trying to wake them up show them who he really is idolatry these fake idols these these gods that we create it, it doesn't make any sense this thing is sacred that just was ugly and slimy and making noise and big stomach coming out and catching flies or whatever, right? And now, now it's just there's piles of them. This, these are your God? Look at them. Bow down to this heap of stench. Go ahead. Will this heap of dead flesh save you? Is this truly your God? It doesn't make any sense. Isaiah 44. This is one I come back to on a number of occasions just because it, it's the, the folly of idolatry is, is the, kind of the title, the section that the editors gave it, but it, it doesn't make any sense. But when you're blind to truth, when you continue to harden your heart by rebelling against God, by resisting God and all of his grace, this, this stuff makes sense to you. Isaiah 44, starting in verse 9. Let me, let me just read this for us. And think of a little, a little wooden frog doll or a, a statue of a, of, a, of a woman goddess with a frog head that was carved by human hands that are worshipped every year. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither, they, neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Why, why would you do this? It doesn't, there's, there's just a logical conversation happening here. Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. 
The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees in the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and he falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the other half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes, so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there any knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on his coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? This is the folly of idolatry. This is what the Egyptians were strongly engaged in. And this is who God was revealing himself to, to correct them, to say, there is no one like me. Why would you bow down to these things? And so he's given Pharaoh a chance, and the frogs are everywhere. And he says, plead with the Lord. Notice he, he knows the name now. Plead with Yahweh. Plead with the Lord. He's using his name. He knows that there's something about this God now. He says, I will let the people go and sacrifice to the Lord in verse 8. And then Moses says, okay, well, command me, just to make sure we're on the same page, that there's no coincidence here, that there's not some, like, you know, tornado that hits and all the frogs just take off all of a sudden or something. When do you want this to happen? When would you like me to remove the frogs and ask the Lord on your behalf? And what does Pharaoh say? He says, tomorrow. Why would you say tomorrow? It's just that hard heart, right? It's that resistant. It's that I, I want you to, God, please take this away, but I don't want to worship you. I don't want to believe in you. And so he's, Pharaoh's bargaining here. He's starting the, the bargaining process. He's starting to kind of negotiate to see what he can get away with. Plead for the Lord, but, but take it away tomorrow. And so Moses said, okay. And he, and he cried out to the Lord. And Moses was crying out to the Lord. He wanted, he wanted God's name to be lifted high. He wanted, as he said, that he may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And so the Lord provided. He killed all the frogs. They heaped them up and they stank. But what happened to Pharaoh when he saw there was a respite, he hardened his heart. He wouldn't listen to them. Isn't that what a lot of us do? I think before we were believers, that was a, maybe a more of a common occurrence. We're at our end. We can't control anything. You know, the, the things are at their worst. We've tried everything possible. So we break the glass of this, this, this little prayer that we've heard on TV or someplace. God, you haven't, you know, it's me. It's Mike. I haven't really talked to you in a while. I, I think you're up there. If, if you're there, God, right? It's that there's no faith involved with it. It's a desperate kind of Hail Mary. 
If you're there, God, please stop this. And I promise I'm going to make things right. I promise I'm going to clean up my act. I, I, you know, I promise next week everything's going to be better. Or, you know, I, I promise, Lord, if you, if you remove this burden, and so the, perhaps the burden's removed by, by something, and now you start to rationalize, well, that's a coincidence. Um, you know, I, maybe I spoke too soon to God. Or maybe we don't even, re- we don't even remember what we said to him because we didn't really mean it. But as believers, I, I, I fear that we do that as well sometimes. We cry out to God. We ask for him to remove this burden, to remove this thing. We should be asking him to help us have the strength to endure many of these things. It's okay to ask them to be removed. But we also need to be praying that God gives us the strength, Lord. But your will be done. Even Jesus wanted the cup to remove from him, but, but God's will is what he wanted more than anything. Is that what you want? And we ask God, please give me the strength, and maybe he gives you the strength to endure, and now things are going better. And we begin to forget and get comfortable again. And then we remember we have some conviction. We come to a service, or we're in a Bible study, or we're talking to a friend, and yeah, didn't, didn't you say you were... Didn't you say after that one service, you were so moved by God's Holy Spirit and there were tears coming down your eyes and I sat with you and I prayed with you and you talked to this other person. You said that you were going to, you were going to make this change. This was, this was a new thing you were going to do for the, you were going to start a new devotion. You were going to start to get up early or you were going to uh, join the study. You were going to start discipling someone or meet with someone or you were going to get into the word more. And you promised to do this because you saw God's grace in your life. You knew you needed more of him. He was convicting you. He was personally speaking to you. And in some sense, we said those things, maybe reluctantly, maybe out of sheer joy, knowing that this was a great act of faith and that this is what God wanted, this was pleasing to him. And then a day later, there's a little bit of remorse. I was like, well, Lord, I meant, you know, I meant get up early, like in October. This is this COVID thing. I can't get up early, right? Maybe when things slow down a little bit, I got all this. Lord, if you would also take care of this thing, then maybe I'll have some time. And I went to that group and someone looked at me wrong or they said the wrong thing or they didn't pray the same. I asked for a prayer request and they, they prayed and they, they said this thing, but I really asked for this and I don't think they really care. And we make up all the excuses in the world to go back and do what we want. We have to be careful about the whole tomorrow thing. We have to be careful that we're not bargaining with God. That when we decide to get up early, it's because we know that sleep is an idol in our life. That we worship our bed and our, 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 we like to regulate how many hours we get. And it's not a bad thing to get hours of sleep. There's a, there's a, there's a remedy for getting up early. It's going to bed early, right? It's maybe adding an hour of sleep on the, on the back end with some crickets and, and frog sounds next to you, right? Go to sleep and then get up a little bit early and then you, you'll, you'll start a pattern. But getting up early shows that not, not just that you can overcome the morning and you can overcome 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever it might be. It's because you desire to pray to be with God more than you desire your sleep. You desire to order your life because God's more important than your own comfort. Is it painful? Is, does it cost you something? Absolutely. Is it good? Does it give you everything? Absolutely. And these are these little idols that we don't think about. We don't have statues of frogs, and if you do, you need to get rid of that. Just FYI. But if we if we don't have statues of frogs, we have other things in our life. We have sleep. We have Netflix, binge watching, right? 
We have money and status and work and relationships. They can all become idols to us. They're all good things and in God's hands and, and with good stewardship and, and giving those things back to him, they, they are a praise to his glory because he provides all these great things for us. But in our hands, when we are turning ourselves from the Lord and doing what we want, they become idols. It's idolatry. It's being consumed, having an affection for things that are, and other things, worshiping other things than God himself. Relationships are, are a big one of those. We think that any, anything is. We think that we can have, we can find rest from our deepest hurts. We can fulfill the deepest longings of our soul by clicking on another cart in Amazon and watching that package roll in. Yeah, that, that feels good, right? wonder what's in this one. I've clicked so many times this month, I don't even know what I ordered. Right? How about that new car? How about that new truck? How about this? How about this piece of entertainment? How about that? Whatever we can do, anything that it takes our affection away, technology, my goodness, I mean, it's, we're so consumed with so many things and, they're, and it's idolatry and we don't even realize it because they're not statues on a shelf. They're taking our affection. And they're harmful for us, especially as God's people. We are called not to have idols. We are called to flee from them, right? To put them away. That's something we need to look at this week. What are some things, Lord, teach me, Father? What are some things that are idols in my life? And you probably already know. God's probably already been prompting you and hinting things. And the Holy Spirit's been speaking. And, and you've just kind of been ignoring him. So Pharaoh's bargaining with God, and he changes his mind. And then the other plagues come in, and let's just read the rest of this, and we'll, t- we'll uh, close with some applications. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it becomes gnats in all the land of Egypt. And so there were gods of the earth, there were gods of the desert, there were gods of dust, there were gods for everything. And so the gnats, and a lot of commentators and scholars think it was actually lice because it was on man and on the beast, on the livestock, on all the animals, so maybe it was a type of lice. But these were gods to these people, and so they were everywhere. Imagine having these gnats or lice just crawling in your ear and all over the place, all over the place. This is God's judgment. You're bowing down to these things. And here's God's power. I can use something this small to destroy a nation. I can take something this small. I can take the dust of the earth. I can take the smallest insect, and I can destroy you. That's pretty amazing. That is showing his power. That is showing who he is. Meanwhile, the people are in their houses bowing down to this, this lice-looking, you know, earth God of some sort, please save us while the stuff's crawling all over them. Right? And what happens is they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust, all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Could you just picture that? The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
So the magicians, they could do the, they, they could reproduce the snakes, but all of their staffs got eaten up. They could reproduce the blood on the Nile, which was pointless. It just created more problem. They could reproduce the frogs. Why? Because that's all they could do, right? It was, it was, they could only copy. And now the gnats, and they couldn't reproduce that. You'll notice that the rest of the story, the magicians cannot reproduce any of these signs and wonders. God is sovereign over everything. Satan can copy, Satan can mimic, but only if the Lord allows him to. That should bring us comfort. And so now these, these magicians are like, we can't, we can't do this one. Something's going on here. This is the finger of God. Something's different here. This, there's, their God is real, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, authoritatively, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Do you get this picture? Everywhere, on the ground. And they have, they have gods that are gods of flies. Everywhere. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. And this is different now. God is making a distinction. I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I am the Lord. I'm the one who's here. I'm the one doing these things. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And I love that the Lord um, (laughs) said he also used tomorrow instead of right now. This is an act of grace. Pharaoh's tomorrow was an act of cowardice, of rebellion. God's tomorrow was an act of grace. Tomorrow this shall happen. And the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. It was ruined by the swarm of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. See how he's still negotiating? With, with, go, you can go sacrifice now. I'm, I'm kind of having enough. My magicians, I don't even know where they're at anymore. Everyone's gone. I can't see. There's gnats. There's flies. If the flies would have came first and the frogs could have eaten the flies, why didn't God do it that way? Right? All this stuff's going through fair. This is just, this is crazy. Fine. Go ahead and worship, but do it in the land. He's negotiating now. He wants to still hang on to some power. Don't we always, don't we do that with the Lord? Yes, Lord. I, I promise to, to do this. And yes, Lord, I want to pray more. But on my terms, when I decide it's, it's time to pray. I will read your word, but I'm going to read it in, in my way. I'm, I'm not going to meet with other people. I, can't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to be part of God's people and discipleship and growing in and, and the knowledge of your word. But I'll, I'll read the word. I'll, I'll read it on my app real quick as I'm at a stoplight or I'm grabbing a coffee. This is what we do. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. He's still trying to hang on to power. (laughs) He has none. What's his next words? Plead for me. We've been here before. 
Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Tomorrow. Moses set the timeline now, right? <laughs> I'll do it. I'll get to that tomorrow. You can, you can choke on your gods for another day before I ask God about this. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting his people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. We're going to talk about Pharaoh's hardness of heart soon. But hopefully you're getting a composite, you're getting a picture here of of God's purpose in all of this. To deliver his people, to show his power, to enact judgment on these gods. All these gods are setting themselves up against the true God. And God will not share his glory with anyone. He won't. And he's calling us as his people not to worship anything or anyone but him. And that requires devotion, it requires time, it requires effort. It, It costs us something. And that's okay. It's a good thing. And we get the image from these plagues of God knocking down all these idols, all these, these man-made creatures. And if you, if you get some time, read 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6. And I, I, I love this, this section. First, the Philistines capture the ark of God and bring it to their temple. And Dagon is their, is their, is their chief god of, of, of the Philistines, right? He brings them in. And, and so they come back the next morning and Dagon, their big statue, their god is bowed down before the ark of God, right? So they put him back up. Let me help you, God, get back up into your stand. Next morning, they come back in, he's bowed down again. This time his head's chopped off, his arms are chopped off. Well, there's not much they can do about that. There's no super glue or anything. So they have to, But this is their God that's bowing before the ark of God. Now they realize they've got a serious problem, right? And in chapter 6, verse 6, they say, after all these problems are happening, and now they're getting tumors, and they're having all these afflictions because they stole the ark of God from, from Israel, and God is just going to battle. He's just bringing out his chairs and taking these people out. And they said in verse 6, Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? They want to get rid of this ark. They want to let, God, let this God go, give them gifts, take, send it back to Israel. This is God. How do the Philistines know about this story? God's name is being proclaimed in all the earth. The other nations surrounding this are finding out about who this God is and what he has done to Egypt, and they are still hardened themselves, but God's name is being proclaimed. And that is the heart of God's people, to proclaim his name as believers in Jesus, as Paul talked about. All the things have been given to us so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord To what? To the glory of God the Father. And so this week, as application, spend time in the Word, worshiping, glorifying God, personally, together with others. Discuss the Lord with your family, with your with your children. Talk about Him. Glorify Him. What has He done? And put away your idols. These all idolatry is just temporary pleasure that creates lasting pain. Don't give in to those things. 
Seek the Lord first. Get to know him more. If you grow in your doctrine of God, of who he is, if you understand more of who he is, it's a foundation for all other theological study. You understand the people of God, the church more. Right? You understand all these other doctrines because you understand who God is. He's, he's central to everything. So put away your idols. Consider your money, your work, your achievement, your status, your power, relationships, technology. What, is, what are the things drawing you away from him? They're detestable to him. They're not helpful for us. Put them away. Be sanctified by the truth of God's word, and you'll always be led into a time of worship if you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the one that clearly communicates, Lord. You're the one... um, that gives us exactly what we need. And although um, we struggle and we stumble and we are limited in so many ways, Father, by your Holy Spirit, um, you give us exactly what we need. And so I pray for the hearts of everyone here this morning, um, whatever whatever needed to be said in the depths of our, our soul, Lord, may you, may you make those prominent as we leave. Help us to be clear about the things you would have us remove from our life, Whatever idols we have set up, Lord, we will put them away. We will knock them down. We will let them shatter on the ground because you are the only one we want to worship, Lord. Forgive us of our sin, Father. Thank you for Jesus Christ and the sacrifice on the cross to give us life with you for eternity. We're so thankful, Father, that if we simply believe by faith, and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. We are saved. That is a promise from you that cannot be taken away. Thank you, Father. Help us to be your people this week as we gather in homes and as we gather for various studies, Lord. May you illuminate your scriptures to us. Help us to walk in light of the word. Help us not to be lagging behind, Lord, making excuses. Help us not to bargain and negotiate. Your word is settled. It is the standard for our life. Help us to live according to it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.